2 Corinthians chapter 13, before I begin, I want to just begin with a word of prayer. Father, as we look into your word this morning, I'm asking that we might gain some insight into the mind of Christ through this passage, please. I'm asking that you might fill me, that the words that are spoken will be your words, that we might rejoice in the fact that we have someone who, a God, who waits for us with open arms because of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 13, we get to the end, and I think, I think we all know that exercise is important, right? I mean, we, we want to exercise. You know, what's the hard part about exercising? Well, it's finding the time to do it. And, I, you know, I, I have a hard time finding the time to do it. So sometimes I have to do it when it's not necessarily appropriate, but you get it done. But it's also, um, uh, exercise is a lot easier when you have somebody else doing it with you. If you're running together or walking together or riding bike together, it's just a whole lot easier to... Uh, to make sure that you get up and you do it or you and to get off the couch and you do it as long as you have somebody with you. One of the loneliest pictures that I remember of a time in my life was a time when Cindy and I were coming back from Montana and we were, uh, we were just to the Montana-North Dakota border, Glendive, right in there. And so uh, just coming down a hill, it was raining, it was cold, it could have been snowing, but it was, at least it was raining. We were coming down a hill on the freeway, and we were going to pull in and get some gas. We looked across the divided highway, and on the other side of the highway was a bicyclist pedaling up the hill into the wind, into the rain. Ah. Now, we had seen bicyclists all along there because they ride their bikes across the United States, and they go right across, and so we will see groups of cyclists, not single cyclists, groups of cyclists because they have others coming along with them. Maybe one of them breaks the wind for a while, and and, uh, the the rest follow behind, and... uh, they encourage one another, keep going, we, we'll stop and camp and we get a little further or, or whatever they might do. But here is a lone cyclist going up the hill. Now, those cyclists ju- just don't decide one day, hey, how about we go right across the United States? Well, how about if we go and we, we ride up those passes, big high passes in Montana? Won't that be fun? Let's just do it. But we haven't ridden a bike yet for this year. Ah, it doesn't matter. Let's just do it anyway. No, those guys, they have trained for it. Now, they might be able to make it across there in a couple of years or whatever if they're not, if they haven't done it before, but it makes it a lot more pleasant and a lot more possible if you are in shape or you're conditioned to do that. Now, the... And so it was a lonely picture of this cyclist riding up the hill 
on the other side of the highway. But what caught our attention was he wasn't riding a 20-speed bike. He wasn't riding a bike that had balloon tires or a fat wheel bike. He was riding one of those bikes that has the big, high, tall wheel in the front and the itty-bitty wheel down there, and the bar runs down to it, and he's sitting right up there, and there were no gears. The pedals are hooked to that big wheel. He was riding that kind of bike. So I knew two things about that guy. Never met him. Well, I know three things. First, he was crazy. But second, he was in shape physically, and he was in shape mentally. He had to prepare for that ride. I am reading 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul says there's something more important than being in shape physically and even in shape mentally, and that's being in shape spiritually. And he gives, I picked out five exercises to get you in shape spiritually. And so if you if you're jotting them down, you might notice I'm going to try to remember to uh, exercise a little bit with each point. But the, the first point is um, an exercise in weakness. Verses 3 and 4, an exercise in weakness. Now you say, uh, that's easy because if I don't exercise, I'm weak. Well, that's not exactly what Paul is saying here, although it's a little bit confusing, verses 3 and 4, since ye seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you word is not weak, but is mighty in you. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. And I want to emphasize that the last two words, toward you here, because he is saying, uh, he says, I am going to stand back and let God do what I cannot do. In my weakness, I will step back and give it to somebody that has some power. Now, there have been several times that we have been, have the kids at our house and our grandkids and everybody, and we're preparing food in the kitchen on the counter and, and everybody's milling around having a good time and, and Cindy will be trying to get the lid off of a jar. And so she finally hands it to me, and of course, you know, I take a, a towel, a hand towel, and I put it on the jar of that lid, and, and I can't do it, and I hand it to Amanda, and she goes, pop, and I'll open it up. <laughs> That's what Paul is saying here in weakness. He says, I am going to be weak so that I can turn it over to God. Now, what is he talking about? He knows that there are some in that church that are not living up to their potential as Christians. And he said, I will remain weak so the power of God can whack you upside the head, is really what he is saying in verse 4. Uh, you're rebelling, and you think you're rebelling against me, but you're not. You're rebelling against God. If we go to just on the same page as uh, chapter 13 in my Bible, 
I have verse 20 and 21 of the previous chapter, chapter 12, and it says, Lest there be debates, envyings, wrath, strifes, backbiting, whispering, swellings, tumults. And then the next verse says, uh, And have not re- repented of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness which they have committed. He knows there are people who are living in sin in that church, and they think they're rebelling against Paul, but he is saying, no, you're not. You're rebelling against God. And what he's insinuating is you don't come out uh, very well in a battle against God. You rebel against God. It doesn't end well. And I say that it, can, it, it will end well if you're a believer. It will end well because God will bring you to a point of repentance and you'll deal with that sin because he disciplines. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, he disciplines. And so it will end well, but the process will not feel good. That's what he's saying. You rebel against God. I don't know uh, if you're rebelling against God. Now, I, I don't know. Uh, Paul knew that there were some in the church that were rebelling against him. And it doesn't end well, just ask Korah and Dothan and Abiram, three men that came to uh, Moses and Aaron and said, why are you leading us as a nation? We have 250 princes, smart guys, leaders. We ought to be leading here, not you. Who made you king? And Moses said, well, God asked us to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt. I said, well, we don't think so. And Moses said, well, then you bring your censers, which uh, were little little, uh, pots with incense in it and coals. You bring those tomorrow and meet here. We'll bring ours and we'll see whose uh, incense God accepts. And so they show up the next morning. And they're standing there. See, they're not rebelling against Moses and Aaron. They're rebelling against God. And it says that the earth opened up and swallowed them and families and, uh, and closed up again. Maybe gave a belch after all that good food. And, uh, and then a plague swept through the country, uh, through the people there. And if Moses and Aaron hadn't run and, and begged God for forgiveness and run through the people with their censers, Uh, more than 14,700 would have died. See, it doesn't, you don't fare well rebelling against God. And and Paul says, uh, yeah, I will be weak. I will tone it down so that I can step back and let God deal with you, do what I cannot do. So an exercise in weakness, but it looks a whole lot like humility, doesn't it? Uh, An exercise in in weakness. We are weak in ourselves, but we are strong in Jesus Christ, just as they sang that song. Or we could ask Nadab and Abihu, two uh, priests, young priests, kids, um, well, young men, uh, and they went into the tabernacle and offered Strange fire on the altar, whatever, uh, altar of incense, whatever that means. I, I don't know what made it strange, but it was contrary to God. So they were doing what God told them not to do. They were rebelling against God. They went into the tabernacle to do this. Uh, they got drunk and went into the tabernacle. 
They got drunk, went into the tabernacle, offered this strange fire, at least about offered it. And uh, God said, you're rebelling against me, sent down fire, probably lightning, and they were cremated inside of their cloaks. Because it says that the priests went in and they gathered up the garments around the ashes and hauled them out. You don't fare well rebelling against God. So what you need is an exercise in weakness. In Christ, we are strong. So building up your spiritual strength takes an exercise in weakness. Building up spiritual strength takes an exercise in examination. Verse 5, examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Ah, this is serious, is what Paul is saying. If you're going to live like unbelievers, you better examine yourself to see if you're really in the faith. Not, do you remember praying a, a little prayer sometime? Not remembering you got baptized sometime. Not remember you joined a church sometime. That's not what he's saying. Hey, you examine your hearts uh, to see if you really are a believer in the faith. Here, verses five and, uh, 5 and 6, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Uh, it's just kind of similar to examine yourselves. But it is personal. I can't do it. I can't have you walk by. Uh, I'll, I'll be at the door. You walk by, and I'll say, saved, saved, saved. Yeah, you got it. Got it. Got it. You know, go up to the front of the auditorium. Unless we'll deal with it. Now, see, I, I can't do that. It's personal. You examine yourself. Does uh, you know we get exams? Uh, we go to the we go to the doctor and we get our exams. We can't really examine ourselves, but at least we go to get examined. And we can't tell ourselves. Uh, I, at an auction, I opened up a box that I got for a dollar or something, and. And in this box was a stethoscope. And I put it on, you know, to examine myself. Well, I still have a heart. That's good, you know. But I can't examine, I can't use that stethoscope to find out if I'm saved or not. I examine myself. Is Jesus Christ real in my life? Does the Holy Spirit dwell within me? Am I in Christ? Do I believe God's word? And that's confusing these days when I... Uh, when I talk with preachers who don't believe God's word, that confuses me, and I, they confuse people as well. Paul says, if Jesus Christ is in you, you will know that what I say is true. Uh, uh, you will know that I am not a reprobate. I uh, That word, we do not use that much, but uh, the measurements we have to know whether we are in Christ, the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit using the Word of God in our lives. That's the measurement. It's an exam. It, examine yourself means to put to the test. It needs to be real. It needs to make a difference. It needs to cause us to grow fruit, whether we want to or not. If we are in Christ, there's going to be some fruit coming out someplace 
Uh, we might have to look hard for it, but it has got to show up there uh, because we have Christ in us. We are in the faith. Reprobate means to uh, d- be depraved, rejected by God, or to fail the test. And so those that were living with unrepentant sin, Paul says, you're living like a reprobate. And so several tests to know whether you're in Christ. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, that ye have, what? Love, one for another. Do you love other believers? Uh, Examine yourself. Then being filled with the Spirit, ye be not drunk with wine, but be ye filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit. Are you controlled by the Holy Spirit? Do you sense his presence? Do you sense his, uh, not, you know, ooh, you got this ooh feeling going on, but uh, you sin and there's something saying, you ought not to do that. You claim to be a believer and, and, and believers ought not to live that way. Uh, obeying God's word, that the mark of a believer So the result of the examination is personal. Examine yourselves. The result can be eternal. That's the scary part about this is that examine yourself to see if you be in Christ because the result of that examination, if you're not in Christ, you're reprobate, Paul says. If you are in Christ, you're in Christ. You're saved. And it's eternal. You choose you have that opportunity. Now, reprobate, not approved. That's another meaning of reprobate. Not approved. Or when I was welding, it was reject. And we hated those tags as we would weld parts or, or we would weld equipment and we welded tractors. Um, and if the welds weren't good or if they were in the wrong place or if something was wrong with it. An inspector who was always walking around had his inspector's vest and a big bunch of reject red tags. Ah, oh, the worst thing in the world. Well, it was bad to see an inspector take the wire wraps and wrap a red tag on what you had done. Reject. And yet that's what Paul is saying. Examine yourselves. The last thing you want is a reject from God. Reprobate. Uh, The result here, uh, because it can be eternal. If it doesn't bring you to Christ, it will send you to hell. And that's, that's a literal hell. It is not going to be good. Uh, God says more about hell than he does about heaven, yet everybody wants to believe in heaven, and nobody wants to believe in hell, but it is there, cast into the lake of fire. Uh, The result of the examination ought to be cleansing. Examine yourself, oh, and you say, ah, I shouldn't be doing that. The result should be cleansing, asking for forgiveness, changing your ways. That was why Paul wrote in his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 11, uh, let, a man, let every man examine himself before he takes part in the Lord's Supper. Examine himself. 
deal with his sin. And so uh, exercise, or uh, to exercise spiritually, it takes uh, exercise in weakness and exercise in examination. And thirdly, building spiritual strength takes an exercise in honesty. Here, verses 7 through 9. Now I pray unto God that ye do no evil, not that ye should appear approved, but that ye should do that which is honest, though we be as reprobates. For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. Uh, what he is talking about there, do that which is honest, he says, or honorable, or good, or beautiful, or right, pleasing to God. Um, so we examine ourselves, but then we do exercise in honesty. How are you doing? We finished a running yesterday morning, and one of the girls, and she gave permission to use this illustration. I won't use names, but uh, she said, oh, I am so bad. I am so bad. And so we all wanted to know, why, why are you bad? And she's had her... her uh, mother and father-in-law staying with them for a week or two weeks. And, uh, and it just, she says, I just need patience. In fact, that was her prayer request, has been now for a week. Just pray for patience. Uh, if you're a mother-in-law or father-in-law, uh, don't take offense at this, but sometimes they can be uh, difficult and uh, she said, I am so bad. Why, what did you do? We thought we were going to hear something that she did to them. And, and she said, well, I, I told my mother-in-law that this uh, bridesmaids party was at uh, 5 o'clock. And it really wasn't until 6. I just drove to the park and had to sit there by myself. I said, well, you probably would have done worse if you hadn't. Uh, the... Uh, an exercise in honesty. Paul is saying here, change your ways so that when I get there, I won't have any evidence against you. You see what he's doing there? He says, uh, uh, for we, so that we will be retrobates. It says, prove us wrong. Uh, change so that when we get there, you've made a liar out of us. And Paul saying, he uses that word reprobate, kind of tongue-in-cheek, saying, make us as reprobates, make us as liars. Uh, so change now. Be honest and change here. Uh, sometimes uh, we don't change our ways and until God forces us to change our ways. But he says, judge yourself. Because if we come in weakness, God comes in strength. And you'll do better against us than you will do against God. But make, it, uh, make us a liar out of us. The, it's been years ago, but a hockey team from the United States playing in the Olympics. Some of them from Minnesotans. One of them pulled my wisdom teeth here in Brainerd. And... Uh, these, the people were saying this is going to be a massacre, it's going to be a slaughter. They're playing the Russians, uh, their professional team, and uh, there's no way they're going to win. And yet we know, because we've watched Miracle on Ice, we know they win. Or maybe you're old enough to have got to see it on TV. And it was exciting to see our young guys. They made 
liars out of everybody, all of the prognosticators out of them. And Paul is saying, do that. I want you to be maturing, verse 9. I want you to grow up, be growing. And the, the fourth, uh, building up your spiritual strength, takes an exercise in edification, verse 10. Therefore, I write these things about being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness according to the power which the Lord hath given me to edification. What does edification mean? To build up and not to destruction, Paul says. According to the power God has given me to build people up. God has given you, if you're in Christ, the power to build people up. Now, it's a whole lot easier to destroy than to build up, isn't it? This is a time of year when I go around and I find wasp nests and I destroy them. I, I pull them down, I burn them or do something, and it's a lot quicker. I can do that. It doesn't take me very long, um, but uh, to, to light a fire on them and, and burn. But it took a long time for those wasps to build that, to build up. Uh, there are families that are falling apart because of the language that is being used in homes, uh, caustic language and snide remarks and uh, words intended to cut down, not to the use of edifying or building up, uh, not ministering grace unto the hearers. Instead, it's bite and devour, is how Scripture puts it in the church family. We are to be building each other up. And what is it like for one foot to stomp on the other foot? You say, no, you're not going to do that. It hurts. Yet in a church family, we are all part of one body, aren't we? And so if we think, I'm going to, you know, stomp on somebody here in church, you're going to hurt yourself. You're hurting us. The whole body hurts. Uh, Paul tells us. And so, uh, spiritual exercise in edif edification here, building up. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that to the use of edifying, that which is good to the use of edifying, building up, uh, that it may minister grace unto the hearer. Now, our language, our talk, towards each other ought to be building up. And we will get spiritually stronger if that is the case. In various scripture verses, it says we are to be devoted one to another, honor one another, accept one another, admonish one another, greet and serve one another, submit and encourage each other. And that will build up a church and that will build up an individual as well. So the last exercise for building your spiritual strength is an exercise in joy. And that's seen in verses 11 through 14. Verse 11, finally, brethren, farewell. I, I guess I didn't really know what farewell meant until I studied this out. Farewell means joy be to you. You get ready to say so long or goodbye or farewell. It means joy be to you. And when Paul uses it, then these next couple verses, he throws out all kinds of uh, corn to the chickens or whatever, uh, a, intended, you know, a shotgun blast. He, he sends out all of these ways that can bring us joy. He's doing this intentionally. He's just about done. He's, going, he's saying farewell to this church at Corinth, 
And you know, moms, you know what it's like if you send your child, if you send any of them off to school or off to college or something, you try to teach them everything they ought to know uh, just as they're going out and getting in the car, right? You just, okay, if I, did I forget anything? You teach them all you can. That's what Paul is doing here. He says, finally, brethren, joy be with you, and here's how you can have joy. And he says, uh, grow, uh, be obedient, grow up. He says, be perfect. And we know we not, are not perfect, but be mature is what he is saying here in verse 11. Be mature, grow up, continue to grow, be obedient to the word of God. Um, uh, be perfect was the word that they used for mending the nets. Restore it back to its original place. Uh, in, it talked about James and John uh, and Peter on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and they're mending their nets. They are making the nets perfect. They weren't perfect, but that's what it means, putting them back to original point. Uh, I finish, uh, Cindy finishes mowing the yard this winter when we're all done with grinding up the leaves. As soon as she is done, she'll pull it in front of the garage. I'll take the blades off. I'll sharpen the blades, get it all ready, put additive into the gas tank, get it all ready so that next spring it will be ready to go. It's back to perfect or it is growing up. If you want to have joy, he is saying be obedient. Bring things into the right place. Be comforting. Be of good courage or be of good comfort. There's that next phrase there. Be comforting to those around you, and you will receive joy. And we know that. You encourage somebody, it makes you feel good, doesn't it? Then be unified. Be of one mind. Keep the mission in mind. And I have to do this, and I hope you're doing it too. What is the mission of First Baptist Church in Baxter? We've got to keep it in mind. It is to win souls and disciple them to win souls. That is the reason. To build each other up, not just to have good times, but it's to lead people to Jesus Christ. Jesus said when he's going away, he says, you be my disciple, go into all the world and preach the gospel or teach the gospel, uh, winning disciples. That is our mission. That is the goal. We have to keep that in mind here. Uh, so be unified in that calling, in that mind. Be calming, live in peace. He says next, have a calming influence on those around you. Be welcoming. Greet one another with uh, a, a holy kiss here. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Uh, for us today, it's greet one another with a holy elbow shake or, or whatever. You know, this is the custom there. And I know in Brazil and Spain, we've gone there and, and, and you greet somebody uh, and you put your cheek to their cheek and you... UK, we don't do this in COVID times, but uh, cheek to cheek, and, and you just make a, a kissing sound. And some, some countries, it's just on one side, and some it's on both sides, and you have to kind of figure out uh, what that is. But that's greet one another uh, with a sincere greeting, is what Paul is saying. Make it real. Um, we were watching around the world in 80 days at Heather's, and she, they have their... Uh, little bunkhouse designed with a screen in there and all of our the kids and uh, so Grandma Gaga and Papa, the two of us and, and our kids and all of the grandkids were in there watching this on a, on a screen 
a projector screen around the world in 80 days and with Jackie Chan. It was, it was great. It was funny. They get to the very end, and this uh, man and a woman that have been uh, uh, flying with Jackie Chan around the world, it gets to the last scene, and they, they kiss. And all the grandkids, ooh. And one of them says, and this is disturbing, <laughs> one of them said, and this has changed, uh, you know, I can't kiss Cindy uh, the same way I kissed her before because one of them said, ooh, they're sucking faces. <laughs> well, uh, here, Paul is telling them, sincerely greet one another. Uh, handshake, hug, a shoulder grip. I mean, and that, you know, I, I'll be standing in the hall, somebody walk by and squeeze my shoulder. You know, that, that makes me feel good. Somebody is saying, hey, hi Dave, thanks, or whatever. And so that's what he is talking about, a sincere greeting, uh, companionship. And the response from the Lord, in conclusion, is the last part of verse 11. It says, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. Run into his arms. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. Can you think of anyone better to have with you? You know, I want to have Cindy with me. But is there someone better? Yeah. Uh, we went, and there's a, a, a friend of ours has a parasail, one of these big go-karts with a big fan on the back, and it blows up a, parachute and you take off and it's a two-placer so he sits in the front runs the controls and then we sit behind you know one person sits behind when I'm up there at 1100 feet I was glad that Brett was with me and not Cindy <laughs> I love Cindy I, I don't love I I love Brett but not uh, but I was glad he was there because he can control that flying machine and it says here, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. Here, what, can you think of anyone better than God? Yet there will, could be some in this auditorium that would walk out of here without the God of peace and love. That you say, no, I don't need it, or no, I can get to heaven some other way, or no, I, uh, I don't believe in God. What a tragedy that would be. Like it's just to bow our heads as we close. And if you're here without Christ and you say, Pastor, will you pray for me? I want Jesus in my life. I want my sin forgiven. If you lift your hand, I won't point you out. I won't name your name. I will just pray for you. Anyone here. See, that's me. If I left now, I would not have, I would not leave with Jesus or the God of love and peace. Anyone? Continue to examine yourself to see if you be in Christ. Lee, would you come and lead us in a song?